In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given me the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet ever more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts and of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Even to old, even, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens, you who have done great things. O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is the word of God. Good morning. Let me reread verses 20 and 24 as we get started. It says, You have made me see many troubles and calamities. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. This is verse 24. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. You know, the dilemma of our engagement with both blessings and trials and our relationship with the Lord and with our enemies are captured in the conclusion of this psalm. Verse 20 says, it is God who makes me see calamities and troubles. We do not have time to cover that. That is another sermon series, let alone something we could cover in this hour. God makes us see those things. And why? Not because I will revive myself, but because the Lord wants to revive me again. 
The Psalms are full of these refrains of perpetually praising God. Verse 24, my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. It's an echo of Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be on my lips. God's role in this life is to make me see anything if it helps me see him more completely so that my tongue will speak of the righteous help that God gives me in spite of those who seek to do me hurt. So I've titled my message today, Refuge and Refire. The big idea is this, God made us to find our help in him. And that's repeated over and over in this passage, throughout the Psalms, throughout the scriptures. And we know that, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more But the psalmist also demonstrates, talks about how his aim is to be used by the Lord even when he has gray hairs, which I now have on my beard. And so I'm called to be re-fired by the Lord until he returns. And so the the tension is this, I'm, I'm called to the Lord and then I am sent by the Lord to proclaim the gospel and all of life until he comes. So what does refuge mean? Verse 1, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Verse 3, be to me a rock of refuge. Verse 7, you are my strong refuge. Refuge has a historical significance in my story of faith. A month ago at my ordination service, my uncle told a story about my grandparents and their daily habit of reading from the Bible, which I participated in each time I visited them. After dinner, before dessert, we talked uh, and, and read the scriptures. And one night as a young boy, I read from Psalms. I read something similar to this passage. I don't remember which one it was, but I mispronounced and misread, refuge is refudge. I was thinking about dessert. And so this reminds me not only of my love for dessert, but my grandparents and their, their deep, faithful, consistent commitment to read the scriptures. So refuge means something specific to me and my past, but that's not necessarily what refuge means. What refuge actually means at its core and definition is finding shelter from danger and distress. You ever gone to the grocery store, you're like 80% through your list and you look out and you just hear the rain on the roof of the grocery store and you're like, oh no, I forgot my umbrella. And somehow you've got to get from, you know, you got your cart and you're like, ah, I got a big cart here and I got lots of bags and, and I'm scrambling to find your keys and open the doors and get off your thing and then you rush and close the door to your car and you were like, yes, that's refuge. Refuge is running from something in order to get somewhere that reconciles what you've been going through. When we say in the ICU, it's a heightened place of safety and boundaries and security. Refuge is when we seek Shelter from physical, emotional, relational stress. It's really important to get that definition right because 
one of the things we have to ask ourselves is why is it so hard to do what refuge is and means? I'm going to give two reasons. First, it's far too easy to stumble into refuge somewhere else, right? It is far too easy for us to stumble into some other form of refuge. Verse 3 says, Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Maybe in our own contemporary language, we might say it like this. God, be so reliable that you're the first place I look for help. But a lot of us have stuff that we're going through and we, we just stumble into looking for help somewhere else. Like we, we, we self-medicate in ways that don't involve medication. We spend money on stuff that makes us feel happy. And I'm not saying that it's not okay to have nice things. In fact, I would, I, this is a whole other sermon, but I would say that sometimes Christians struggle to enjoy nice and good things. But really, when we look at the motivations of our heart, sometimes we're just, we're looking for happiness and we're purchasing or self-indulging in order to just stumble into happiness somewhere else instead of the Lord. We might engage in unhealthy relationships with, with other people, or we consume too much food or too little food, or we struggle with other addictive behaviors. We also just stumble into to entertainment. You know, I'll never forget my, one of my professors in college talked about the difference between entertainment and amusement. Entertainment is something that captures your attention. Amusement, the word is actually without thought, like an amusement park is like super fun, but it doesn't require anything of you. Whereas a movie could be entertaining because it captures your attention. In 1985, 35 years ago, Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. He wrote that 35 years ago. You know, I recently noticed on Netflix that when you, um, we have Netflix on our television, you just turn it on, and and on the home screen of Netflix, there's a shuffle button, and it says, play me something. <laughs> like, we are so lazy and bored that you're like, just show me something. What you got? Like, doesn't that scare you? <laughs> like, what are you going to show me? There's nothing wrong with watching a movie. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we've, like, we've given ourselves the opportunity to just check out. You just give me something to watch. And here's what Postman says in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. A person who reads a book or who watches television or who glances at his watch is not usually interested in how his mind is organized and controlled by these events, still less in what idea of the world is being suggested by a book or a television or a watch. Right? We can stumble into finding refuge somewhere else because we're just, we're just consuming. But secondly, the reason why it's hard to do what refuge means is because we're capable of building our own refuges. Refuges? Our own refuge? What's the plural of refuge? Uh, anyway. Like the Tower of Babel. Think about the Old Testament. These guys were trying to build something so they didn't need God anymore. I read an article this week that talked about the passage in Luke 18 where Jesus calls us to receive the kingdom of God like little children. 
Luke 18 also includes the stories of the widow who begs for justice, the contrasting prayers of the tax collector who beats his chest, and the Pharisee who says, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy, and then the rich young ruler who seeks to justify himself. But here's how the author expounds on this verse of receiving the kingdom like children. He says, children know they're not in control, and that's why they have to ask for things. And the key concept here is to receive the kingdom like a child. Luke places this verse in a series of other stories that contrast successful people who did not perceive their need for help with desperate people who were painfully aware of their need for help. Jesus was showing that the necessary heart condition for receiving God's grace is acknowledging our need. And we are never more aware of our need than in times of desperation. Desperation then can be a gateway to the kingdom. That's the end of the quote. Many of us, myself included, we're, we, we can figure out how to navigate, orchestrate, manufacture enough of our circumstances that the urgency to lean on God is, is, becomes unnecessary. I'm susceptible to that. I, I think we've gotten so used to it that the last 18 months is probably what bothers us the most. Yes, the sickness has been very, very real, but the reality is, is we used to live in just unfettered flexibility about what we wanted to do. Our normal way of functioning and work and school and shopping and traveling and all of that was taken away and not just for a moment and not even just for a couple weeks, for an undefined, unending period of time, right? And that's just hard. You just get tired. But it's in part because we've, we're, we're kind of able to navigate some of those circumstances all on our own. So how does my relationship with Jesus get transformed by this understanding of refuge and why it's so hard to do? Well, what's interesting about the Lord is that he is an immovable and omnipresent refuge and those are actually two different things, right? God's presence is with us always, but God is always on the move. In these verses in Psalms, God is refuge, not like the, the lean-to shelter that you find on a hiking trail, which could be blown over by a storm or crushed by a tree. Or God's an eternal refuge. He's a rock. He's a fortress. He's dependable. God is the anchor of our soul, but God's also not Static. One of the great promises throughout the scriptures is that God goes with us. Throughout the story of Joseph's life, the narrative in Genesis, the refrain is that the Lord was with him and then blesses Joseph throughout his life in ways that really involved a lot of tragedy where he had to run and continue to find the Lord in refuge. The Great Commission includes the words, and I will be with you always. So God is not a temporary refuge, which is part of how we've defined this term, right? We run to the Lord in danger and distress in those seasons. God's always accessible for us to run to him, to find him, to seek him, and be comforted by him. But while God is our, our refuge, he's not 
some kind of security blanket. God has given the command to save me from sin and death, but God does not shield me from what is difficult. We already established that God's actually the one that makes that happen. God is our eternal refuge, but he is not some kind of force field. It's actually his faithfulness that allows us to endure. Hebrews 10.39 says that we are not those who shrink back and who are destroyed, but those who believe and we are saved. God is refuge. We trust him as refuge, but not his, we're not trusting in his deliverance from our circumstances. We're trusting in the Lord. You may be in a situation this morning that God has not reconciled yet, at least in the way that maybe we would hope that it would happen. Colossians 1 says that God is reconciling all things to himself, but that does not mean that our circumstances will be reconciled in the way that we hope that they happen. That may not ever happen. In a moment, we're going to enjoy communion together. Do you remember that Jesus asked that God would take this cup from him? So we can ask the Lord to take things away from us, but it's his will that we want to be done and not our own. We're not called to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him. And then finally, I think this word refuge is is transformed in our relationship with him when we notice the difference between the words refuge and retreat. They're similar, but not the same. And I hope this helps us pivot toward the word refire. In the military sense, the word retreat means running from imminent defeat, right? We see that there's an enemy and we're not doing well and we got to back up. Retreat can mean evading a challenge or assuming a position of surrender. Christians, however, use this word retreat a little bit differently, and this is where maybe we interchange them a little bit. Retreat in the Christian connotation has this idea of recharging our batteries, and and in fact, the girls' getaway, which used to be called the women's retreat, is coming up. Cricket, this is an unsolicited promotion for your event coming up. But this year's theme is steadfast in an imperfect world. And the idea of how challenging life can be and how necessary it is to get away. Refuge and retreat are both healthy, they're good, they're wise. Seeking refuge in the literal and figurative storms of life in the crisis events that we face, that's very appropriate. But the challenge in doing What refuge means is that sometimes we want to overstay after the storm passes. We want to continue in our retreat to maybe avoid re-engagement. Sometimes we enjoy that relaxation and that comfort. But being a refugee is not meant to be a permanent condition. Refuge is for a season, and some of those seasons are longer than others. I thought about water fountains this week. It's actually been really exciting to walk through the building, and we can use the water fountains, you know? Hopefully, we can 
continue to do that. But there's only so much water that I can take in before I'm full. Plus, sometimes there's somebody waiting behind me and they're thirsty too. And I need water all the time, but I don't stand at the water fountain all day long. Living in a chronic state of refuge after that storm passes can be quite unhealthy because we just soak up, we get saturated, and we confuse what was meant to be temporary status with something that we're really supposed to go. So what do we mean by this word refire? If we're finding refuge in the Lord, what is refire? Well, I'm using that term as the, the reignition of something that has temporarily stopped operating. Refire is the, the renewal of a depleted resource, and then it's redeployment for its intended purpose. Right? We fill our gas tanks in our vehicles on a regular basis. Have you ever marveled at fuel efficiency? If you own an F-350, you, you don't, right? You kind of lament that. But we can fill our tanks and drive at high speeds for a pretty long time. It's pretty remarkable. A car is deemed dysfunctional without gas, but it has to be refired after, after it's refueled, right? It's not good enough to just fill the car with gas. You've got to press the ignition or turn the key, whatever kind of car you've got these days. Right? We go to the Lord for refuge for the purpose of being refired into the world. And this idea of refiring, this is how God made us from the very beginning, to declare the goodness of God throughout our home, throughout our family, to go anywhere and everywhere the Lord calls us, to our next door neighbors. I mean, sometimes we want to go anywhere but to our next door neighbor, right? Maybe I'm the only one. You know, three weeks ago, Lamar Walker said that you could say amen just anytime, y'all. Y'all just jump right in here with me, okay? I know it's the 930 service. Maybe we're just not quite awake yet, okay. This theme of going and speaking God's goodness is all throughout this chapter. Verse 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Verses 15 and 16, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 24, my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. This reminds me of Colossians 3.17 and 1 Corinthians 10.31, to do all things to God's glory. 1 Peter 2.9, that we proclaim the excellencies of, of God who has called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. We will not thrive in our relationship with the Lord if we are not refilled, and that's the refuge part. But after we're refilled, we're supposed to refire. And this is the tension of overstaying the season of refuge. I'm not rushing the refuge part the Lord wants to refill us, and then he wants to refire us. So why is it so difficult to refire? I'm going to give three quick ways. Hopefully I can wrap this up. All right. 
Three reasons. One, we have not, some of us have not been refilled and we're exhausted. Secondly, we may have been let down by others and we're discouraged. Third, the fire has been doused and we're angry about it. All right? Three things real quick. First, we've been, we haven't been refilled and we're exhausted. Some of us in this room have gotten used to not being refilled by God. And when I say we've not been refilled and we're exhausted, I don't mean tired exhausted, I mean empty exhausted, like we're out. God is our source and strength has not been replenished. And it's way easier to live this way than we think. And so if you're here this morning and you're empty, God wants to refill you. He wants you to go to him as refuge. Ask him to fill you again. He promises that he will. Not being refilled is a sign that we've grown stagnant in our faith. And we're fond of saying that some Christians are on fire for Jesus, but we usually, I mean, we, we sometimes use that about a young Christian, someone who has just received the Lord, and man, that guy came to Christ and he's on fire for the Lord. But this passage tells that this, this old dude is on fire for the Lord still. Verse 17, oh my God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Some amount of time has, has transpired in this guy's life and he still loves Jesus, loves God. My message this morning is not aimed at those who are older in the faith, but I would say more people in our church than less have been around the church and in a relationship with the Lord for an extended season of their lives. And the psalmist addresses old age literally and figuratively in verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. I turned 40 in September. Somebody told me last week, 40 is halfway to 80. And then someone told me that the 40s are great and the 50s is when it starts to get harder. I can still do a lot of stuff on my own. But this, this statement of do not forsake me, it's a statement of purpose and repurpose and refiring. There's a professor at Covenant Seminary named Luke Bobo, and he wrote these words about the life of Caleb from Joshua 14.11. In Joshua 14.11, Joshua quotes an 85-year-old Caleb who says, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the darkness, wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Oh, that at 85, I would love the Lord and be used for his purposes and even bench press as much weight at 85 as I do now at 40. That would be super cool. Thank you. Yeah, all right. God wants to use us in our old age as we get older in the faith to proclaim the gospel. The second reason it's hard to refire is because people disappoint us and we get discouraged. I spoke with a woman at our church this week who is deeply involved in helping someone else through their recovery from addiction. 
And just when it looked like this woman was getting out on her own, she relapsed. She relapsed and she fell off the radar and they haven't heard from her. When we invest in someone deeply and someone disappoints us, it's easy to think, I don't really want to do that again. That hurt. And that's real. And maybe there's a season of refuge and grieving about that. And maybe the people that have disappointed us never apologize. We, they never repent. It's never reconciled. But we still need to strive in the Lord to keep investing in people because they're always going to let us down. Finally, our fires can be doused and we end up angry. The psalmist addresses the ways that the, the enemies in our lives try to hurt us. But I love the tense that he uses here. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. When I read this, I get the impression that the author is not the one shaming and disgracing. Verse 24, they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. That's different than saying, I have put to shame those who have sought to hurt me. I don't read this and conclude that the author is not involved in the justice process. But do you see what his aim is? The contrast, may my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you more and more. This older man in the faith displays all the joy of someone who is on fire and is going to be refired. And it kind of reminds me of Hebrews 12.1. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus. See, people are going to hurt you. They're going to try to hurt you. What are our responses to that? Three quick th things. If we've sinned and someone critiques us, we should confess and repent if it's true. Second, if it's not and someone tries to hand us a weight, right? The sin and weight are two different things. If someone tries to hand us a weight of unfair criticism, too easy, we catch it and then we try to throw it back. And that just gets, that gets tiring too, doesn't it? But if someone tries to throw you a weight of unfair criticism, I just let that hit the ground. Right? Too often we want to argue with people and throw the weight back and forth and just put it down. I think sometimes we escalate things that just don't need to go there. And then third, no matter what, don't stop running. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The encouragement that I drew from this psalm is that the refrains of someone who is old in the Lord is still young in the Lord. Verse 6, I've leaned upon the Lord since before my birth. It sounds pretty hyperbolic, but it's true. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
This guy is so excited about the sovereignty of God that he knows he's leaned on him since before he was even born. And so for those of us that are old and older than in the faith, you still have a role in the faith. Verse 18, even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Reminds me of Acts 20, 24. If I may only finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The Lord wants to send us out over and over and over again. When we're empty, we need to be refilled. People disappoint us. We've got to re-up. It's going to happen again and again. When people come against you, we either need to confess, we need to let it go, we've got to keep running. May we do so for God's name and his glory. Just think about the example of Jesus. He was tempted in every way like we were, but he was without sin. He left an example of, of always going to God as refuge early in the morning throughout the scriptures. He asked the Lord to take things from him that he didn't want to do, but he never ceased to do the Lord's will. And so as we look to communion together, may we take refuge in his example and then allow the Lord to send us back out. And so if you have this cup in front of you, There are two sections to this. There's a little film on the top. We're going to take the bread first and then the cup afterwards. And this is for all who are in Christ. Right? This is the Lord's table. If you're visiting with us and you love Jesus, we want you to take this with us. But on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant that is in my blood. When Jesus shed his blood for us, it was a once and for all sacrifice. Things between us and God can be right now once and for all. And so he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, I'm it. And whenever you drink, drink in remembrance of me. And when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So let's celebrate that together.